All right, all right, all right. That's enough. Sit down. All right, all right. A whole lot cooler if you did. Man, I know, hey, I know y'all got your phones out checking the game, but thankfully I have a screen in the back that they're playing it on for me. Just kidding. Some of y'all look, though. You're like, really? <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> we really can do that. We, could y'all? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, w- welcome to church, man. I'm so excited that you are here. And, and, uh, and this is, you know, I wasn't here last week uh, for uh, the 6 o'clock service because I had other engagements uh, with my son. Uh, we had to go make, uh, let some dove know who is in charge. Dominion over the earth, uh, the animals and the fish of the sea. God told us to take dominion. And so we were going to express our Genesis rights um, out there. And, and so I'm thankful, thankful for Pastor Troy for stepping in for me last week. Uh, but two things, two announcements before I get started. One is today is the last day I'm going to mention the connection card for a while. Uh, if you have filled one out already, don't fill it out again. Um, we don't need you to fill it out every Sunday. Thank you. Those of you who have, but one of our volunteers who puts this in got a little snickery with me. Um, I don't know if snickery is the right word, but she got persnickery. She got mad. She got mean, ugly. Pam Rolfs, you know her. She's mean and ugly. She is a mean, mean person. She's not at all. Um, She goes, they don't have to do it twice, Michael. Yes, ma'am. So don't sign it up. Uh, Secondly, uh, is this right here, this sheet of different small groups. Uh, there are two ladies groups starting this week, uh, Women at the Well, both the evening class and, um, and their small group in the, um, in the 9.30 on Tuesdays. Uh, they're both on Tuesdays, one's at 9.30 a.m., one's at 5.40 p.m. Um, so if you're not in a small group, find that out. Talk to Pastor Troy about that. Or um, if, if, you, if you don't see anything on that page, come talk to us about it. Um, we would love to help you find a place because being in a small group is so huge and so key to, uh, to your growth and, and, and who God is calling you to be. But today, today we are in uh, the fourth Sunday, I guess, of this Come to the Table series, but we're on the third cup. Uh, and, and so if you haven't been here, what we're doing is uh, I set the table uh, a few weeks ago with this series by, uh, titled, based off of this book, uh, Come to the Table from Leonard Sweet. And his thesis in this book is that um, Christianity, specifically Western Christianity, is an endangered species. We're losing people, losing them from the faith and by death um, at a much quicker rate than we are adding um, to the, the numbers. And, and so because of that, if you continue along that path for any length of time you, and you're endangered, you'll eventually become extinct, right? And, and, and so what, what are we going to do about this? And, and so what his, his theory is, is we've lost the ability to speak the language of the culture today. And because of that, we've lost the generations behind mine specifically, and some of you, many of you in this room as well. The language of the culture today is storytelling. You can look in, in advertising and media. You can look across social media. Everywhere, storytelling is the language that our culture speaks today. And so we have to recapture this art. And the great news is, this is our native language. This is how we originally began to speak as Christians, because this is a story. It is the greatest story that has ever been told, but it is indeed just a story. However, what we have done over centuries of time is we have chaptered and versed things that were not meant to be chaptered and versed. And because of that, we miss some of the great, beautiful parts of this story. And even more so, we focus on little bits of it as opposed to the overarching story of who God is. And so what his suggestion is, is we need to to recapture the art of storytelling. And the best way to do this, if you look at different faiths, different religions who really retain their people and their faith is, is around a table. 
as you sit around a table and you share a meal and you look one another in the eye and you tell a story. You tell this story. And this is how Jesus did his whole ministry. If you look throughout um, the ministry of Jesus, in the book of Luke, about a little over 20% of the time, Jesus is around a meal, around a table of some sort, and he's dropping these theological bombs at these dinner parties, essentially. He's changing and forming the church and, and us over a meal. So we should do this too. We should begin to look at the stories that he told. And he told one story primarily, but he told it in different ways throughout. But at one time, he told it just the way it was told in the beginning. It was at that Seder meal the night before he was betrayed in Passover. And that story is the foundational story of, of all of our faith. Paul picks up on it, and he uses the same elements of this story throughout his letters to the different churches that he plants. It comes from Exodus chapter 6. And it's this story of God who, who the people of Israel have been lost in, in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And their identity has been formed now. They are slaves, and that's all they know, and they cry out to God to give them freedom. And God finally answers their call, and it says this, Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this story, in this foundational story, it's, it's based around four promises of God, the four I will statements. And really what they do is when, is when, the, when the Jewish people tell the story in Seder Meal, it's based around four cups. It's based around these four cups of wine that as you tell the story, you drink a cup and you remember this one promise. And, and these four cups are, are exactly what Jesus is talking about, the Seder meal, the night that he is betrayed. They're the, the cup of sanctification, which is the first cup. It's the cup of, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to bring you salvation. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. It's the cup of freedom. I'm going to free you, right? He's going to rescue you. He's going to pull you out of Egypt, but then he's going to get Egypt out of you. The cup of deliverance or freedom. The third cup is the cup of restoration, or the cup of redemption, which is restoring you to who you were supposed to be in the first place. And then the fourth cup is this cup of halal, is the Hebrew word, this cup of praise, this cup where we step into the fulfillment of what God has called us to, and we find truly the life that he offers us. It's these four cups. These cups of it, we, we say it in a little different way, around here, it's, it's knowing God, it's finding freedom, discovering your purpose, and making a difference. Those four things are the foundational story from which God launches everything. And it's the same story that Jesus came back to time and time again. Those four cups are so transformative. And if we just sat down and told this story over and over again to our children, imagine what difference they could make if they leave our nest knowing exactly who they are in the eyes of God as a son or a daughter of his. They know their purpose, they know their design, and they don't spend time trying to find who they are because they already know. And once they fly the nest, they get hit the ground running. Imagine what it would be like for them to know solidly and to not fight with the world for identities that are thrown at them every other day. Who are you, who are you? I know who I am, right? Remember Dennis Green? 
Anybody know where I'm going with this? They are who we thought they were. All right, one, a, a player from the Bills, I think, did a parody of them today. Um, of, that, of that we are who they thought. Our kids need to know who, who they are. They need to know that they are God's children. And, and we need to recapture this story. So we go through the first cup, and it's that cup of, of sanctification, that cup that says, I'm setting you apart. I'm pulling you out because you are not slaves. You are my sons and my daughters. And then, and then I'm going to deliver you. Right, I'm going to take you out and we're going to cross the Red Sea and we're going to go into freedom. But here's the thing, as we talked about last week, that you can't see the hope of tomorrow until you deal with the hurt of yesterday. You can't move into the promises that God has for you until you let go of that baggage and you get that healing and you separate yourself from the slavery that you once were under, from that life of oppression, and you let all that stuff go and you let God bring new life into you. Lives healed, chains fall, fear bows down, and you find that freedom, and you move into the life to which God is calling. But here's the thing, most people stop there. See, see most people on this journey get to a point where they'll taste that first cup and they will find salvation, like, yes, Jesus is mine, he died for my sins. I have my eternal place in heaven, amen, hallelujah. That is great. And I can't wait to give you a high five when we see you there. And, and some people will go even further and they, and they find freedom and they, they walk into this relationship with Christ and, and they come and they bring the stuff to the cross. Like all, all those hurts, all that, all that heartache, all those stupid things that they did and said and, and all those hurtful things that were done to them and they just bring them to the cross and they say, God, I can't carry this anymore. Bam, it's yours. Oh, so great. They never tasted the third cup. There was a study, and I mentioned it um, last week, and it's, it was a study done by some seminaries um, and uh, some chaplains and some people who deal with um, right at death time, um, people who are on their deathbed and, 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 they're, and they're doing ministry with them. And, and they came up with this number that 85 to 87% of the people, when they are on their deathbed, ask questions like this. Did my life even matter? What did I do? What a crushing question that is, right? I mean, that's a fearful question. Like to get to the end of your journey, like you've lived this whole long life and you get to the end and you're like, you know that God is, is about to bring you home and you know that you have a spot in heaven, but you look back and you're like, did I do anything of significance? Is the world better because I was here? Is the kingdom of God stronger because I was here? 85, 87% of the people that these chaplains dealt with thought no. Oh, because they never drank of that third cup. They never stopped and started thinking, okay, but why am I here? Right, okay, so why, why am I here? What is my purpose, what is my design? It says in scripture that God just wonderfully created you, just super complex in, in your mother's womb. There's no one like you, nobody. There's nobody who has ever been created. Man, my brother and I have a lot of similarities, a lot of similarities. We, we, I mean, some people, August calls him the hot crocker, which so, <laughs> that hurts me every time she says that. Um, <laughs> whatever, he's got gray hair. 
No, he doesn't, because he dyes it. Um, it's red. Like, nobody in our family has red hair. Um, but he and I have a lot of, we laugh the same. We, we talk the same. In fact, his, his wife called him on the phone the other day, and I answered it, and she started talking to me like I was him. That's right. I mean, we, we have a lot of the same tonalities. We have a lot of the same mannerisms, all that stuff. And, and if you, I mean, you know that we're brothers. I weigh about 100 pounds more than he does because he doesn't eat and he runs. Like he's, I don't know. Um, but but we, we have these similarities. And, but, man, we're different. We are so, so different in so many ways. We, we have such, di- he, I mean, gosh, we, I mean, August knows him probably best in this room. But we, we are so different on so many fronts. He is so similar to me, but, man, he's not like me. He can't get up in front of groups of people like this. He does improv and comedy, right? So you see that we're a little similar in that aspect. But he can't deliver like this. It's true. <laughs> Truth hurts, Crocker. Yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you why in a little bit. There's nobody like you. No one like you either. There, there, there may be people who are close. Maybe pe- people who look like you, who sound like you, who kind of even act like you. But they're not you because God goes, no, 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 no. But I'm going to create this person, oh, man, with these gifts and these talents and these skills. And I'm going to put something on their heart that just burns them every time they think about it. They get fired up and they get this passion behind it. Oh, man, I can't wait to see what they do with it. But the thing is, most of us never ask. Most of us never drill down into what that is. We just, we just stay back and go, you ever feel like you got lost in the cycle of your life? And it's just like, I don't know, I woke up. And one day I was, I was here, and I thought I'd be way over there, right? Have you ever stopped and really asked God, God, what do you want me to do? What is it? Here, here's the thing, though. Let me, God doesn't want you to be a preacher. We, we got one, right? He might. But a lot of times when, when I start talking about this, God doesn't want you to leave your career and go into the mission field. God doesn't want you to go to seminary. Everybody say praise Jesus for that one, right? Or cemetery, as we all call it. It's where your faith goes to die. It's kind of a funny joke. It's, unless you've been to seminary and then it really hurts. God doesn't want you to do that. God wants you to be who you are, where you are. God's like, no, 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 no. I put you right there. I put you in that company. I put you in that family. I put you in that neighborhood. I gave you those gifts and these abilities. I put you in this church so that you could bring those gifts that I have given you to bring me glory. Paul says it this way to the the people of Ephesus. He says, look, it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. God, but before you even heard of Christ, Christ was sitting back going, oh, 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 I got my eye on that one. Man, she's going to be awesome. Let's go back to Israel and see what happened with them, right? So, so they, they, they have this, this first cup sanctification. God says, I'm pulling you out. I'm setting you apart as my people. And then he delivers them. He brings them through to the the Red Sea into freedom. And and he begins to work on them for 40 years to drop off those Egyptian habits that they once had. And then he does something interesting. To help them discover their purpose, 
He lays on them rules and laws and regulations and religion. Right? Remember this? Because they're out in the wilderness and all of a sudden all these laws start coming in. Moses goes up and he gets these Ten Commandments. And then there's a whole bunch more that come after that. You're thinking, well, that sounds more like a bummer than anything else. Well, yeah. But see, God was doing something. Because what God was doing is when he brought them out of slavery and he begins to, to remove that oppressiveness from them and that identity that they had built into them for 400 years, he then begins to give them a purpose so that they can see who he is and where he wants them to go. Because he has plans for them. Like, pretty amazing plans, right? From them comes the Messiah. From this group of slaves who come out of Egypt into the wilderness comes the one who would change everything. And so they had a job to do, but they didn't know how to do it. And so God puts these rules and these laws, and then he goes, no, 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 I want you to build a tabernacle, and I'm going to give you these exhaustive instructions on every single detail of what to do and how to do it. I'm gonna give you all the instructions of what the priests are supposed to wear and how to make those garments and all the candles and all the cups and all the linens and everything. And everyone will play a role in this design. Everybody will have a job. And he separates, he begins to separate the tribes out. And he says, Levites, your job is to do this for the tabernacle. Everybody who is from the tribe of Aaron, your job is going to be priestly and you're going to take charge of this. Everybody from Reuben. And, and he begins to separate them out. And he begins to give them purpose and to focus on something. And then this is where, if you watch, they begin to get strength. And they begin to find their identity, really step into their identity because they finally have purpose. They finally have vision. And what does the proverb say? He who is without vision will do what? Perish. You can say it louder. I heard the shh. Unless you're just shushing your neighbor. Without vision, we die. Without purpose, we waste away. The message translation says it like this, without, without some clear understanding of where God wants you to go, you stumble all over yourself and never get anywhere. I, I, I like that because it gives me a, a better picture. Like without a clear vision of what God wants me to do in this life, I'm just gonna stumble and I may achieve certain things, but I'm just not really gonna get anywhere. I'm not gonna know, I'm not going to experience the fullness of what God has for me because that's what Paul says in his letter, right? Like this glorious living, he wants, he wants to show you what it feels like to fully walk in step with him. Every single one of you has been designed with a purpose in mind. And what is it? Well, here we do this thing called the growth track. And if you've been through the growth track before, you haven't been through the growth track before because we've revamped it and changed it. And the growth track is this four-step process, and it's a Sunday-by-Sunday Sunday thing. The first Sunday of every month is step one. The second Sunday of every month is step two. Third Sunday of every month is step... Hey, you're listening. Fourth Sunday is step four, and the fifth Sunday, there's nothing. It's only four steps. Step one, step two, step three, step four. And what this whole idea behind this growth track is, is to get you to understand 
who you are, how you're designed, and find a place in the kingdom of heaven. How you're uniquely gifted and wired. How your personality speaks to how you can influence the kingdom. How your spiritual gifts line up. How many of you know what a spiritual gift is? Some of you? How many of you have never heard spiritual gift? Like, I don't know what that means. A couple of honest hands, I like that. Yeah, spiritual gifts, Paul lists them in, in the New There's about 27 that are listed in the New Testament. Apostles and preachers and teachers and people speaking in tongues, which everybody goes, Whoa. that's when you start freaking out, right? There's about 27 listed in there. That's not an exhaustive list. But what it is is, is you take this personality profile that you have and you take these spiritual gifts that you have and you line them up and you find where those things, co- the, the, where those things connect and then you find that passion that is there. And let me tell you, when you step into those places, you get what Paul means when he says glorious living. You just get it. When you, when you step into those places and you find that lane that you're like, oh man, this is what God wanted me here to do. You find life unlike any other time in your walk with God. We had step two today, and step two is the personality profile and the spiritual gift assessment. And, and, and we took it, and one of the things that I said is, is, is like, when you walk into a room and you see like um, a row of chairs and you immediately go, that, chair, that row of chairs is out of, out of line, that's a spiritual gift. Administrate, you say OCD, yeah, but yeah, we need that. Jesus uses that, all right? It, it, it's like this administration gift, like, oh, that's not right, we gotta fix it. If you walk in and you don't notice that, guess what, you're not into details. And we don't need you working on detail stuff. If you walk in a room and, and you see someone sitting off by themselves and you can just sense a heaviness on them and you feel your heart like, I need to go say something to them. Some of you, that makes your stomach turn, but others of you are like, that's me. Because you have that spiritual gift of discernment and mercy and helps and wanting to go connect to someone, right? Some of you walk in and you see that person, you're like, go the other way. That's okay. We don't need you helping people. That's not where your gifts are. Everybody is created for something. Look, I I know what mine is. And I know this is why I am better than my brother at this. Because this isn't his spiritual gift. He's got other stuff, but but his his isn't preaching. This is mine. I, I, I love it. I do a lot of stuff as a pastor. But this is where I come to life. This is where I just, man, I get fired up. Man, this is the third time I've done this today. And in the meantime, I went home and I watched football and I had some pizza and I cut back and like football and pizza, I was kind of just like, oh, I gotta come back up to church. And we get in there and we do our prayer and I said, and I ended with, it's game day. (laughs) Jesus on three, come on. Right, because I, I love this. I love coming in here. Because what God says is God gives us all of these gifts. In the, in the Greek word that's used there is charis. And it's where charismatic comes from. Now everybody settle down. Charismatic, all it means is somebody who knows what their gifts are and they use them. Right, steps into those spiritual giftings and allows God to give them this glorious life when you find your place to serve. So what is it? What is your place? A few weeks ago I did a sermon on, I believe it was Lydia, we were still finishing up the, the women of the Bible. And, um, and I went through this whole deal and the worship team was up here and they were playing behind me and I was on a roll and I was just feeling it. 
And I was saying, I don't need you to be an usher. I don't need you to serve in the children's ministry. I don't need you to blah, 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 all this stuff. I was on a roll. Man, I thought it was awesome. Because the follow-up was, you need it. You need it. Like, it it's, it's not for me that you serve. It really is for you. And somebody slapped me on the wrist, sent me a little email, and it was, it was, it was good. And it was like, hey, man, when you say you don't need volunteers, guess what you're going to get? No, no volunteers. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and I was like, but you missed the second part of it. He goes, people stop listening at the first part. It's like, mm, maybe. But here's what I'll say tonight. I need you. I need you. I don't need you to preach. I got that one covered. But you know what I do need? I need somebody to drive a golf cart. How many of you are golfers in, in this room? Raise your hand, Cavenders. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Go golfers in the room. Yeah, you can drive a golf cart. Guess what? We use a golf cart. I know y'all come to six o'clock, but but maybe one day you're like, you know what? I'm going to come early, one su one Sunday every other month, so I can drive the golf cart for the nonsagenarians and the octogenarians who carried the flag for Jesus Christ in this place for so many years, and they still get up at 94 and 95 years of age and come to church. I mean, come on, praise Jesus for the faith of these people who are coming here. But you know what? They don't move as well as they used to. And we use this golf cart to get them around. And, and so maybe you're somebody like, yeah, I can drive a golf cart, you know? Just drive along, run, not run into a pole, which happens with some of the people we have right, driving right now. Or, or maybe you're, everybody smile at me real quick. Everybody show me a smile. Show me your pearly whites. All right, yeah, some of you are just angry. Um, you won't even smile right now, but some of you have wonderful smiles, and, and maybe you're that type of person that can stand out every, every so often in the narthex and just greet people. Hey, man, I am so happy you're here tonight. I'm so glad that you came. Man, we are here for you, right? Because the thing about the church is we are not doing any of this for us. We are doing this for everybody else. You don't use your spiritual gifts for you. You use it for the kingdom, you use it to find, what happens is you get that glorious living on the backside. But how many of you have this gift of administration and you're sitting on it? How many of you have IT experience and gifts or creative arts experience? Praise, but sweet Jesus, we need you. All right, we need you to step up for the production team. We have a sweet young lady who runs our slides at the six o'clock service, but she can't be here every Sunday and do those things. How, how many of you, like those are behind the scenes things. Some of you are comfortable with that. Some of you want to be seen, we know it. We get it, that's okay. We have places for you to serve. If you can play the electric guitar and you have musical ability and you have not had God, and I'm not looking straight at you for any other reason than to tell you, if God is calling you to step up and to bring the guitar. Man, we were jamming earlier and it would have been awesome with just an electric guitar behind it. If you can sing, we need you to sing. If you can't sing, that's great. Those of you, everybody's a prayer. Everyone prays, everybody talks to God, but some of you take it to a different level. Some of you are prayer warriors. Some of you are those people, and when I say prayer warriors, you know, right? If you're not a prayer warrior, sometimes you're like, oh, that's weird. Somebody, somebody's calling you out, man. The Holy Spirit's like, this person has discernment. This person has the healing gift. This person has the, the, the apostolic gift. This person can bring it through prayer. Every, every Saturday, we meet here at 4.30, and we pray for you. August leads us in worship. I do a small teaching and we scatter about the room and we pray for you. 
Yesterday, I prayed specifically that people would be opened up to the idea that they could be used by God. Every single one of you has a gift and an experience, a life experience, pain even, that can help you discover where God has called you to be. Because when you drink of this third cup, Drinking of the first cup is amazing and it's awesome and it's powerful. And that is the first step. You can't do the others without doing the first. And then you gotta have that second cup. You gotta get healed and whole and strong. But don't stop there. Don't let us do church for you. Don't let us make the kingdom move on your behalf. Because when I do everything, I fail. When I, I, I've cleaned restrooms around here, I've, I've blown off sidewalks, I've driven the golf cart, I've taken out the trash, I've stuffed envelopes, I've done all these different things. And I don't mind doing that, I do that at home too, I do what I've, whatever I'm told. But when I do that, I'm failing. Because what Paul told me my job is, is to equip all of you. I'm not the minister, you are. I am not the one who is gonna be more effective in bringing the kingdom of God because on my own, on our own, we can't do it. We need you. We need you to drink of that third cup. We need you to say, you know what? I'm tired of always coming in and just having it done for me. I wanna be a part. I wanna feel what it feels like to step into my lane. Man, let me tell you, you do it here at the church, do it at your office, find that place where God has called you saying, yeah, this is my lane. Give me a year. I, I haven't thrown this challenge down yet, I forget, I've been forgetting. Give me a year. Go through the growth track, find a small group, discover your purpose, engage in that. Give me a year, and at the end of that year, if you don't see your life is crazy better from where you are right now, you can come and slap me in the face. Are we recording right now, Raphael? Stop the recording. When you find the place where God wants you to be, and you engage in that work, that heavenly work, that work that opens the kingdom to everybody, that, that lets people understand who they are in God's eyes, that brings the peace and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ with them. When you find that spot, I gotta tell you, when, when people give their lives to Jesus as they did a few Sunday, two Sundays ago, man, there is nothing better in, this, in my life than that moment. And it's yours too. Why are you here? What does God have for you? What has been bouncing through your head as I've been talking? I've always thought I should do this, but I've never taken that step. Today's the day. Today's the day where you step in to maybe a little bit of fear, but we just said that fear bows. Maybe a little uncertainty. We take a step know that God will meet us. Give me a year and 
watch what happens to your life. The ushers are coming forward right now and, and I'm just gonna ask us to, to enter into an attitude of prayer right now. Father, I, I, I thank you and I praise you so much for, for the purpose that you've given me and for the way that it fills me. I, I thank you so much for the, for the calling that you have on my life and the calling that you have on everybody's life in this room, for the way that you have wonderfully and beautifully created each one of them and said there will never be someone like them and they are perfect for this. And when they figure that out and when they step into it, oh, I can't wait to see the joy that they experience. So God, I pray that you would release hearts, that you would open ears so that we may hear your voice and hear your call and understand who you've created us to be. Father, we come now as a generous church and I thank you so much for the generosity that, that our folks give. I thank you that we stand in the gap for so many people by the ministry that we do and it is all powered by what we give to you. And so Lord, we come to you we give these resources that you have given us in the first place. We pray that you would receive this. And through the power of the Spirit, you would magnify it so that others may know that they are your child, that they can be free, that there is a reason for their life, and then they can make a difference in this world. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.